0: Well, good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing today? I said, how are you doing today? All right. I'm great. Thank you, Logan. That's the response I want. Today is a great day to worship together. My name is Dave McMinn, and I'm the pastor here, and it's a special day. And I do not mean because there's a game playing later today. It's a special day because any time that we get together as God's community and worship the Lord together, it's a, it's a great day. I want to take a moment and greet those who are watching with us on Facebook Live. We're so glad that you're able to join us this morning as well. So, today we are finishing up our sermon series on the topic of being unafraid. I love that song that we sang a few minutes ago about being no longer slaves, no longer slaves to fear because we are children of God. We have a whole new thing that rules us when we serve God, and that's our trust and our faith in God. And so, we're not going to allow ourselves to be a slave to fear anymore. That when we say unafraid, we don't mean that we won't experience fear. Fear is a reality of life. It's just simply that we are not going to let these fears control and rule our life. And today we're going to talk about an interesting fear, which is the fear of death, of what is going to come when we pass from this world and why we are afraid of that. And I think that you're going to hear some things that may challenge you, maybe some different understandings that maybe you're not used to, and this is a great topic for a long Bible study, right? I mean, we couldn't cover everything we need to cover in a semester's worth of teaching, but we're going to try to condense it in about 20 minutes, okay? So <laughs> stick with me, and we're going to do our best that we can to cover this, this interesting topic. So, but people are afraid of fear, and I think they're, I mean, afraid of death, and there's several different reasons. Some people are afraid of death because they, they know they're going to miss their loved ones, are they afraid to see their loved ones pass from this life? Because we know we have a deep relationship with them, and we love them, and we care for them, and we're going to miss them, and that, that is okay. I'm not saying as a Christian you can't be upset when someone dear to you passes away. So don't hear that. But as a pastor, I've been in so many funerals, and I've done so many funerals, and I can tell you there is a significant difference when I get to do a funeral of someone who believes in Jesus Christ Versus doing a funeral where you don't know. And there are tears and there are sorrow, but there's this ultimate hope and joy and the true knowledge, the promise that God gives us that we will see our loved one again. That is a great promise and a great hope that we have. One of the most wonderful things of following Jesus is the reward that our life does not end when we leave this world. But we may fear death because... It doesn't necessarily sound too pleasant. I was told as a kid that all heaven would be would be, you know, we're going to put on our choir robes, and we're just going to sit in worship service the whole time singing praises to God. And I was like, man, that does not sound like my idea of heaven. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that a little bit. So we may fear death because we don't know what, the, what is going to happen. Even if we believe that we're going to live past this life, that we're going to have eternal life, we may be afraid because we don't really know. So today we're going to talk about what we can know and how it is incredibly good news and how it can encourage us to live a life of faith now. We're going to look at several different scriptures, but the first one I'm going to open up is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and 55. This is what it says. And when the rotting body has been clothed in what cannot decay, and the dying body has been clothed in what cannot die, then this statement in Scripture will happen. Death has been swallowed up by victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? How incredible, how wonderful that we as people of God do not have to fear death because Jesus conquered death. Just when Jesus conquered sin, we get this promise of life after death death. This is a wonderful promise. So we're going to get into that in a minute. But I wanted to share a a quick story. I was in a worship service and I heard a missionary share about her ministry and and the pastor came up and he he said, can we pray for you that you will be safe? I may have shared this story with you before. Can we pray for you that you will be safe? And I I was overwhelmed by her answer because she said, no. Do not pray for me to be safe. But rather, pray for me that I am in God's will because sometimes following God means doing things that are not safe. And one of the reasons that we're able to do that, one of the reasons that as Christians we can act boldly and live without fear is that we know if we step out in faith and take risks for our faith, and even if it's to the point of losing our life, because Christianity has a great history of martyrs who gave their life for their faith even if it means giving our life for God, we know that will not be the end so that we can live unafraid and live boldly for Jesus Christ and who he has called us to be. So I want to start off with four misconceptions about heaven. And I believe we have a slide um, coming up. Four misconceptions about heaven. And the first is heaven is not our final resting place. Now, this may seem a little bit controversial because you maybe have never heard this before. I would say this is a half-true. I'm not going to go into detail yet. Uh, you're just going to have to wait. But this is a half-true. Heaven is not our final resting place. The second is a belief that Earth, the earth will be destroyed in judgment. Again, this is half-true. This isn't the full truth. There's some truth to it, but it's not the full truth. The third thing, and I, I kind of mentioned this, that heaven will be a constant worship service. That's not true. That's not what it's going to be like. And the fourth misconception is that what we do now does not matter into eternity. In fact, Paul tells us the opposite, that what we do now has eternal consequences. So let's dig into this. So our first scripture today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 25. Let's look at what it says. I'm sorry, that's not the first scripture. Our first scripture is Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19. There was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen and who feasted luxuriously every day. At his gate lay a certain poor man named Lazarus who was colored by sores. Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Instead, dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. While being tormented in the place of of the dead... He looked up and saw Abraham at a distance with Lazarus at his side. He shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm suffering in this flame. Now this is a parable of Jesus and it actually has nothing to do with the afterlife. The parable, the whole point of the story. The point of the story is you have a rich man who ignores the poor man that he walks by every single day. And that's what this passage is about. However, it gives us a very interesting look at the Jewish understanding of the afterlife. There's two very important verses here that we just sort of go over and we don't even notice, but they're incredibly important that kind of point us at the Jewish understanding at the time of Jesus. The first one is it says that Lazarus was taken to Abraham's side, or Abraham's bosom as it was known, which is this is the place of the righteous, right? And the second thing that it says is the place of the dead, Now, this is often translated as Hades. Some versions translate it as hell. It is not the same thing as hell. There's different words that are translated that mean different things. And I think New Testament translators do a disservice when they translate them all as hell. We're not really getting into hell, but this is about Hades or the Jewish understanding of Sheol. And what the Jewish people believed at the time of Jesus was that there was this one place of the dead called Sheol. Both the righteous and the unrighteous went there. The unrighteous went to this place of torment that it talks about, and the righteous went to be with Abraham in Abraham's bosom, and they would await until the last day, maybe you've heard that term before, the last day or the day of judgment when God would resurrect everyone and judge them, and then the righteous would go rule on earth and the unrighteous would be cast out. That was the Jewish belief. Now what is really interesting is when Jesus comes, he modifies this understanding just a little bit. Because Jesus is resurrected in the middle of history. This was supposed to happen at the end of history. The Messiah would come, the resurrection would happen, and this judgment would happen. But Jesus comes in the middle of history, and all of a sudden we have a resurrection right in the middle of life. So in our next scripture, now we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 25. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first crop of the harvest of those who have died. Since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead came through one too. In the same way that everyone dies, so also will everyone be in Christ. Each event will happen in the right order. Christ, the first crop of the harvest, then those who belong at Christ at his coming, and then when Christ hands the kingdom over to God the Father, when he brings every form of rule, every authority and power to an end, it is necessary for him to rule until he puts all enemies Under his feet. And the verse 26 says, Death is the last enemy to be brought to an end. So, what this tells us is that Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. What we believe as Christians is that we go to heaven and we get to hang out with God. When when Jesus says, Today you'll be with me in paradise, there's this place that we go to and we get to spend time with God while we await that last day. And Jesus is the first fruit of that resurrection. We all get resurrected bodies. We all get a physical body. We all get to come to earth and rule with Jesus in this new heaven and new earth. That's a little bit different than maybe what many of us were taught as children, that it's simply you die and you go to heaven, right? We actually believe in a two-stage life after death. This is incredibly important. I know you'd be like, oh, man, that's quibbling. That's not that important a detail. But if we believe in heaven and just going to heaven, oftentimes it makes us feel like this world does not matter. We're simply just waiting for our ticket to get out of here so we can go to heaven, and that the whole point of Christianity is to save souls to get to heaven. But what we see in the gospel, in the Hebrew text, in the New Testament, the point of humanity is to serve God and rule God's good creation. And so what God is doing is remaking heaven and earth. He's gonna make a new heaven and a new earth. So the old will pass away, so that's why these are half-truths. It's not just you go to heaven. You'll be, we'll be in this new heaven and new earth, this, this existence of shalom. That's a Hebrew word that means things are as it should be. And in the garden, when humans dwelt with God, everything was as it should be. So what can you expect heaven to be like? What can you expect the new heaven and new earth? It's kind of like that feeling you get when you sit on your back porch and the sun is setting and you have a drink in your hand, and you've got people that you care about around you, and you just feel like all is at right in the world. Do you know that feeling I'm talking about? That's shalom, and that's what we're looking forward to. And the the New Testament actually describes this in Revelation 21. And this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. This is what it said. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is here with you in kind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What a beautiful and wonderful picture of what it'll be like in this new heaven and new earth. It's not some floaty existence in the clouds with Jesus. Now, some people may want that, you know, playing harps with the angels. But that's not what's described in Scripture. That's not what the Bible tells us. That yes, we will go to heaven where God is, but eventually heaven will come to earth and that God and Jesus will reign and humans and God will live together just as we were designed to from the very beginning. And you'll have physical bodies. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection, so what will it look like? What did Jesus look like after his resurrection? He had a physical body. He ate. He met with his disciples. They spent time together. They could touch his hands and feel his, his scars. And yet it was different. He could show up in one place and then show up in another place and walk through locked doors. So we'll have this transformed existence and all that can decay will go away. And then the greatest promise is that there'll be no more tears or pain or suffering. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more death because Jesus has once and for all defeated death. This is good news. This is what we can look forward to. This is the hope that we can hold on to. And I don't know about you, but that is something I'm excited about. I do think we will be in worship to God every single moment of every single day. But the way God has designed us is is no longer will we necessarily have to gather and worship to do that because the way we live our lives will be worship. Now, there may be occasions where we gather together in this new heaven and new earth and celebrate and praise God together because community is something that God has designed us for, but it won't be simply sending in a church service for the rest of your life for all eternity. So if that was your fear, let me fix that for you. So why are we talking about this? What, why is this important for us today? Adam Hamilton reminds us that the worst things are never the last things. The worst things are never the last things. We go through so many trials and pain and difficulty. Sometimes at the end of life, our body starts to fail and and our lives are just full of pain. And we have something so much better to look forward to. Sometimes for our faith, we're going to get into trouble. Sometimes for our faith, we're going to cause relationships to strain. We're going to lose friends and even... There're still Christians today who die for their faith. And we have to be unafraid of what God is calling us to do. And the way we do that is by immersing ourselves in this hope in this knowledge that when we die we get to be with Jesus for all eternity. And we have to believe that what we do today matters. 1 Corinthians 15:58 says this: As a result of this, my my loved brothers and sisters, this is after he's talked about the resurrection and the afterlife and what all that's going to look like. As a result of this, my loved brothers and sisters, you must stand firm, unshakable, excelling in the work of the Lord always because you know that your labor isn't going to be for nothing in the Lord. That's an incredible promise that what we labor is not in vain as some translations put that. What we do now matters. One of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, says Jesus is coming, plant a tree, (laughs) which flies in the faith of of so much popular Christianity that God is just going to destroy this world. He's going to yank all the Christians out of it and just punish everyone who's left. That's really not what we hear in the Gospels. Yes, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be some reckoning. There's going to be some separation. But God cares about this creation. The Jewish people used to ask, how is God going to rescue us? And then the later question that, that, that through the scriptures is, how will God rescue all of creation? God desires nothing less than to rescue every single human, every single plant, every single tree, every single blade of grass, every single piece of dirt on this planet. Because God deeply cares about our existence here and now. And we, brothers and sisters, as the church... We are called to be co-workers in that. This is not some future hope that we don't have to work towards. Your job is not simply to go and share your faith with people, although that is incredibly important. Sharing the gospel is a vital part of what we do. In fact, I believe there is no hope for this world outside of everyone coming to know and love Jesus Christ. But we are co-workers in every good thing that God wants to do in this world. And what we do today, the scripture promises us, us is not in vain. It will last into eternity. So I want to encourage you to live unafraid, to be bold for your faith, to step out and do what God is calling you to do, whether that's to share faith with a neighbor, to go do an act of kindness, to welcome a stranger into your house, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit someone in prison. Whatever God is calling you to do, do it boldly and for God, for what God is doing in this world. There's a daily devotion that i really like called seedbed and they sent me this one time and i just love it's called the sower's creed and i'm going to read this for y'all and i think this sort of captures all that we are trying to say as far as what we are called to do today with the boldness of christ this is what it says today i sow for a great awakening today i stake everything on the promise of god i depend entirely on the power of the holy spirit I have the same mind in me that was in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus is good news, and Jesus in me, I am good news. Today I will sow the extravagance of the gospel everywhere I go and into everyone I meet. Today I will love others as Jesus has loved me. Today I will remember the tiniest seeds become the tallest trees. That seeds sown today become the shade of tomorrow. And that the faith of right now becomes the future of an everlasting kingdom. Today I sow for a great awakening. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.